right, good morning, everyone. Welcome again online and those of you here present as we uh, just take a journey and we discuss where did things go wrong? How did we get here? Uh, why, is thing, why are things the way they are? And of course, what happens when things get really bad? I mean, you maybe haven't asked that question, but, but I would just propose it to you. There are those times in life and in world history where things get really bad, and it's like, well, what happens? And if you, if you believe there's a God, you, you kind of say, why isn't God doing something? Or, or when does it take, you know, when does God finally start to act? And you, you ask those questions. If you don't believe in God, you're, you, you, you have no answer for this question. None of the other religions or worldviews in this world has, a, has an answer for evil, for suffering. I mean, they, they attempt to, but it does, it, it's a circular kind of reality. But, but the Bible gives us, I think, a clear answer. And this morning, we're going to look at the story of Noah. Now, Noah is a great story. It's a story of a family, so it's an appropriate story for Family Day weekend. It's a story of, of you know, an ark, and, and oftentimes we think it's a really cute story. It's the kind of story that we use to, you know, uh, decorate our, our nurseries. I got some pictures here. Here's a picture here. Uh, you know, this is Noah's Ark, right? Yay! You know, a floating zoo, right? Animals crawling around, babies. I mean, we do this in, in our downstairs, and, you know, and here's another one. There's the ark. It's actually the, the crib is within the ark. Isn't that cool, right? It's a, it's a wonderful story, cute story. We love the story. But then when you actually look at the story, the story of Noah's Ark is not actually a nice story. It's a story of judgment. It's a story of massive death and extermination. It's, it's, it's a story that should make us kind of hold our breath and go, oh, really? Because it's a story that answers the question of what happens when things get really bad. And we all are, are, are faced with this reality, and sometimes, I think, in our present world, the reality is, let's just look out for ourselves, because no one else is going to look out for you. Just don't, you know, because everyone lets you down, right? Your employer will let you down. Politicians will let you down. Teachers will let you down. Leaders will let you down. Coaches will let you down. Your family will let you down. And even pastors will let you down. And you're wondering, well, well you know, I can only really rely on myself. But the truth of Genesis chapter 6 to 9 is that there is one who will not let you down. There is one who keeps his word and his promises and is faithful. And the book and the story of, of, of Noah gives us that reality. What happens when things get really bad? So we're going to be in Genesis chapter 6. If you have your Bibles or you can just follow along on the screen with me. Uh, Genesis chapter 6 verses 1 to 4 kind of begin to introduce what's happening in, in the context of the story. Now understand chapter 5 is as recorded from, from Adam and Eve until Noah, there's 10 generations. These generations each lived extremely long lifespans, and so they're all just having lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of kids, right? So now the, the earth is full of people. But some weird stuff is happening. Chapter 6, verse 1. When humankind began to multiply on the face of the earth, and the daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humankind were beautiful. Thus they took wives for themselves from any they chose. The picture is really strange. The term sons of God in the Old Testament can refer to a number of different things, and, and there's this passage has been debated. I don't want to get I'm just going to present sort of the, the options, but, but the important thing is, is verse, verse 6. 
uh, in verse 5, sorry, is kind of the, the conclusion of this. But understand, there's something that's going on here. These sons of God are, are potentially angels who have come down, are cohabitating with women and producing this like demonic offspring. That, that's, that's one interpretation. Another interpretation is that the sons of God represent the, the, the children of Seth, of the godly line, and they're intermarrying with Cain's descendants, the ungodly line. And so there, there's this, this intermarriage between followers of God and not followers of God. That's another interpretation. Another interpretation, sons of God, is a term to describe you know, kingly rulers in the Old Testament. That these are tyrannical kings who, as you can see, they took wives from themselves from any that they choose. They just would walk into a village. It doesn't matter whose daughter that is, whose wife that is. If they wanted them, they grabbed them. There's violence. There's, um, as we'll find in a moment here, there's some significant sexual stuff going on in this passage. It doesn't give details, but it says there's violent. There's, there's probably rape going on. There's, you know, forcible marriage. There's all this stuff. There seems to be a disregard for anything God would say to be true or right, they're just doing their own thing. It says in verse 3, The Lord said, My spirit will not remain on humankind indefinitely. Since they are mortal, they will remain for 120 more years. And this, you know, it's kind of a cryptic saying. God's saying, I'm only going to put up with this for another 120 years. And then something is going to happen. What happens when things get really bad? God says, you know, it's... It's time for this to stop. It says in verse 4, The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also after this, when the sons of God were having sexual relations with the daughters of humankind, who gave birth to their children. They were the mighty heroes of old, the famous men. So there's this, this group of people called the Nephilim, which show up in numbers, and it seems to be this, this term which would describe these, these large bullies, who just did whatever they want, you know, men of renown, you know, these are mighty warriors, they just go and, 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 and by brute force accomplish whatever they want to accomplish. They're there. It's, it's a negative term. Nephilim are not God-fearers, they're not God-followers, they don't care about God, they are their own gods. And so what we have is this picture of, of, the, of the earth, just some weird stuff, it's, it's growing Population is increasing, but there is this disregard for God. He's not present in any of their plans or, or their processes. The best interpretation, I think, is what Waldke would say. <laughs> Let me quote it. The best solution is to combine the angelic interpretation with the divine king view. The tyrants were demon-possessed. The text presents us with men who are controlled by fallen angels. Their perverted psyches allowed this entrance of the demonic, okay? And, and, and this is why I say this, because it continues today. Anytime you see some horrific evil in the history of our world, I believe that the enemy is behind it. When, when, when a leader gets up and, and, you know, openly endorses genocide, in the case of Rwanda or Kosovo, that's, that's clearly the devil is behind that somewhere. And so, so I, I believe it still happens today. It happened right here. There's some weird stuff going on. And, and the result is what, what the, the, the author, I think, wants us to focus on. In verse 5, it says, But the Lord saw that the wickedness of humankind had become great on the earth. And just stick, keep it there. 
In chapter one, verse 31, it says, God looks at the whole creation, everything he had made, and he said, yes, it was very good. And now, just 10 generations later, it says the Lord sees that the wickedness of humankind has become great on the earth. It's just growing. It's like this cancer, stage five cancer, that, that's unstoppable. The wheels have come off. The vehicle's careening towards the cliff. God sees it. And it says, and he describes it there in the, in, in the end of verse 5. Every inclination of their thoughts, of their minds, was only evil all the time. Now, do you see that? I'm just going to point it out to you on the screen. Just Sorry, ATEM guys, here I am at the screen. Every, only, all. It's as comprehensive as possible, the, 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 the narration and the, the writing of the sentences. Just to, so, you know, it wasn't like they felt evil sometimes or that they, they slipped and tripped on occasion like we all do. It's like all the time, only, every, they're completely consumed with disobeying God, with doing their own thing, with following their own inclinations. Their hearts have become corrupted and broken. This is a vivid portrayal of the depth and comprehensiveness of human depravity. This is what happens when you disregard God's word and you disobey him. You, you become estranged from him. And then when your heart is not made right with him, that heart just gets darker and darker, sicker and sicker, Corrupted and corrupted, it, it, it's, you know, and all sorts of wickedness can come now out of the human heart. What was created for good and, and to relate to God and to relate to one another in harmony and unity and love now becomes a, a, a source of, of, of violence and of oppression and of, you know, sexual misconduct and everything, greed, and all these things pour out of the human heart all the time. He describes that in um, verses 11 and 12 of, of the chapter. We're just going to jump up there. It says, The earth was ruined in the sight of God. The earth was filled with violence. <laughs> that violence is, is in Hebrew, the word Hamas. <laughs> Cold-blooded and unscrupulous infringement of the personal rights of others, motivated by greed, hate, and often making the use of physical violence and brutality. Any action that disregards the sanctity and inviolability of human life is Hamas or violence. Denotes any antisocial, unneighborly activity. Very often it involves the use of brute force, but it may be the exploitation of the weak by the powerful or the poor by the rich, or it may be the exploitation of the weak or, 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 or the naive, naive by the clever. It's this violence. It says... In verse 12, God saw the earth, and indeed it was ruined, for all living creatures on the earth were sinful. It's a horrible picture. Like he, he looks mad. Like, this is messed up, okay? Here's an example of this. So yesterday we're having breakfast, and we're cracking eggs. My son is cracking eggs into the container, and, and we're like, oh, we could use a few more eggs. So I found this egg. This egg had been, you know, one of the chickens had just kind of taken a shot at it, and there was a tiny little hole in the egg. And I don't ever give these eggs away. <laughs> Those of you that eat my eggs. I, I, you know, but we keep them for personal use. So we're like, oh, here's an egg. It's been pecked. But you know what? You know, so he cracks the egg. And, and as the egg opens up, this odor enters the room. 
it's like teenage boys after eating, you know, chili cheese dogs, you know, it's like, poof, you know, oh, filling the room, right? And it's like, oh, and, you know, and then, you know, it's, you know, it's like, oh, and so I, I literally had to get that, that, that egg out of the house and then, you know, get it out and we had to start all over again making, you know, scrambled eggs, you know, but this is the reality. There's no way for me to fix that egg. It's ruined. It's corrupted. It's vile. And this is the way God describes the human heart and sinfulness. There's this violence, this disregard for the valuation of people. See, we're creating the image of God. So as God's image bearers, we should acknowledge God's image in others around us. And we do that by loving them and by caring for them and by looking out for them and by helping them. But, but with sin, now we look at, at, at other humans as, as threats to our existence. And we, we lash out at them. We insult them. We put them down. We make fun of them. We do all these things which are not right for those created in the image of God. And we call it humor sometimes, right? You know, Mad Magazine had that little thing called Snappy Answers to Stupid Questions. It was a whole book full of sarcasm, right? It taught my generation to be sarcastic. And our children have taken that to the next level on social media. That's just horrific. This is not the way image bearers are to treat one another. And social media gives us a, a nice guy, a place to hide. We can hide behind our screen and, and just throw mud at each other. And, and, you know, it's horrible. That's not the way we were created or designed. He says there's violence, there's wickedness, there's evil. It's just corrupt everywhere, all around us. And it says in verse 6, The Lord regretted or was grieved that he had made humankind on the earth, and he was highly offended. I mean, I mean, you think, does God get ticked? And he's using human terms here. It's like God is really upset. He is ticked off. He can't believe just the whole way in 10 generations this has just flushed down the toilet. And he's like, I can't believe it. I mean, he can believe it, but it's just, it, 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 our sin affects God. Because he created us to be in relationship with him. And when we rejected him at the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, and, and when, he, when their descendants continue to reject him, God's like, this is not the way I wanted it. I want us to be in relationship and to be in harmony and for you to be in harmony with each other. But when I see you, you taking life indiscriminately and, and treating and, and taking advantage of others and all this stuff going on, I say, this is not the way I designed it. He's grieved. He says in verse 7, So the Lord said, I will wipe humankind, whom I have created from the face of the earth, everything from humankind to animals, including creatures that move on the ground, birds of the air, for I regret that I've made them. Literally, the, the term describes erasing someone's name from the record, right? If you wrote on leather in the ancient days, you, you could get a, a special cloth and just kind of wipe it off, kind of like a whiteboard. You know, you, you take those, that, that name right off. I'm, I'm just going to erase it. I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to clean the slate here because I am sorry that I have made them. There is a point where God says enough is enough. And thankfully, you know, we're not living in this time. But there is a point where God says, that's enough. You have crossed the line. I now need to intervene and bring things back. And he brings people along to make that happen. And you think God's ready to just clean everything out, but, but then there's just this tiny little glimmer of hope in the midst of this story. In verse 
8. It says in verse 8, but Noah found favor in the sight of the Lord. Everything else is corrupted, rotten eggs, but then there's one good egg in the, in the dozen. He, God looks on the earth and he just, is just vile everywhere, but then there's just one tiny glimmer of light and hope right there. It's Noah. It says to find favor, would be, you know, he, he discovered God's grace. Uh, God's unmerited kindness and favor. Noah found favor in the sight of the Lord. And okay, so, so How? How in the midst of, of a culture and a society where everyone is going downhill, uh, wheels off, heading towards the cliff, does one guy manage to head the opposite direction? How is that? Well, thankfully, in verse 9, it gives us a picture of Noah's life. This is the account of Noah. Noah was a godly man. Blameless among his contemporaries, he walked with God. In one verse, we get this, like, this resume of Noah. He stands out from the whole culture in which he's living. Everyone else is going this direction, and Noah is going this direction. Noah chooses God and his ways and his will and his word. Everyone else is doing their, my way, my will, my word. It's, just, it's a complete contrast. Describes him as a godly man. That term could also be termed righteous unimpeachable integrity. Noah was conscientious that God had a standard. And he was seeking to align his life with that standard no matter what. He was a righteous man, a blameless, a godly man. He, he took God's word seriously. When everyone else didn't care what God said, Noah said, I, I'm going to follow God's way. I'm going to do it his way. I'm going to trust him first. Said he was blameless among his contemporaries. I mean, Wearsby had said, you know, righteous describes his relationship with God, blameless describes his relationship with others. Blameless is a term to describe someone being whole or complete. Uh, it describes his, his wholehearted commitment, his integrity, his willingness and ability to abstain from sin. It's used in the Old Testament to describe animals without blemish. There's nothing that sticks to Noah, right? I mean, you couldn't say, well, Noah, you know, he's got some questionable business practices. No, that didn't. Noah makes some poor moral choices. No, you couldn't say that. I saw Noah get, you know, no, no, you, you, you couldn't, because he just, he had this unimpeachable integrity, and this treatment of others was in line with God's word. He respected human life. Noah was not involved in any mob violence or any sexual misconduct. He, he just, he had this blameless life. He was above reproach. And it says he walked with God. Noah maintained this relationship with God day in, day out. He valued the connection he had with the Father in heaven and, and with, with, with God, and so he maintained it. He offered sacrifices. He did the things. He, he communicated with God. God communicated with him. In the book, chapter 5, the seventh generation from Adam is this guy named Enoch, and it describes Enoch as one that walks with God. And, and, and guess what happens to, the, to Enoch? Enoch walks with God, and then God takes him home. He doesn't even die. 
And so with Enoch, the, the book of Genesis introduces us to the idea of, of, of the fact that someone who walks with God can escape judgment, can even escape death. And Noah is described as one who walks with God. Okay, time out. The reality is, the push of our world is to draw us into the flow where everyone is going the same direction. The general direction of the world is not towards God. The general direction of economy, of health, of government is away from God. It is towards the human ruling their own universe. That is the, that is the flow of culture, of society. And then the Bible presents us with men and women of faith who say, whoa, I know it's going that way, but I'm going this way conveniently behind me stands the cross. Here it is. This is the direction I'm going. And those people that do that, I think, exemplify these characteristics. They are righteous. Even when everyone else says, it's okay to do that. You say, no, God doesn't. God, God says something different, so I am going to do it his way. They're conscientious of the way their behavior affects others. That's the blamelessness. They're looking out for each other for their neighbors, for opportunities to, to bless others and, and, and care for others. They open the door at the mall for the old lady because, because that's what you do. They say thank you. They show appreciation and gratitude. I mean, there's, just, there's, there's a different spirit there. And, and they, they maintain the relationship with God. If you're not doing those things, you're, you're probably just floating in the current. Your business practices are just like everyone else's. And maybe you have a code of ethics, but it's not really God's code of ethics. It's someone come up with a thing that just to not get in trouble. But, you know, and, and, and you know, you morally, you, you make some pretty good choices. You're, you know, you're a good person. Your family's a good, you know, and all this stuff. But you're just kind of floating along. Everyone's doing what, what everyone else is doing. But then along comes a guy like Noah that says, I know everyone's going this direction, but that's not the direction God told us to go. I'm going to go a different way. Not easy. It's not easy being the only one at work that cares about integrity, right? You show up and suddenly all the guys that have been taking 35, 40-minute lunch breaks on a 30-minute schedule are embarrassed because at 29 minutes, you're back at your workstation ready to go and they're still drinking coffee or having a smoke out in the parking lot. And they're like, man, that, that guy, that girl, they really make us look bad. When you're the only student in the classroom, it's not laughing at the dirty jokes or the inappropriate texts. When you're, when you're kind of taking a stand for, for sexual purity, the, the world's going to be like, well, who, who are you? Are, are you nuts? I've had adults look at me and when I talk about sexual purity. They just say, like, how can you expect kids to be sexually pure? Well, with God's help and trusting in God's way, they can be. But if you just float with the current, you're going to say, oh, yeah, I guess i got to get my kid on birth control. I'll give my boy some condoms because they're just going to be doing this anyway. So, oh, well, that's just what everyone does. No doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. It just takes one man, one woman, to just say, you know, I, I'm not going that direction. You know, in our sports, you know, people worship sports, right? But if you're involved in sports, you, you get in there involved, and you say, you know what, I, I'm not going to sell my soul out for this sport. I love sport. My kid's going to play sport, but that's not going to be the number one thing in our life, so they're not going to go every day to sports. And when it's time to worship, we're worshiping. So if you schedule sports at the time of our worship, sorry, we're not going to be there because that's important to us. 
you will say, you know what, I'm investing money in missions uh, instead of my, my retirement and all my own personal financial plans. I'm, I'm giving God his, his I'm, I'm honoring him with my finances because I believe that, that, that he's going he's, that, that to reward me and, and that this is an investment that lasts beyond my life. But some of you are afraid to do that because you don't trust God. You trust yourself, and I control my own finances, but God will look after you. See, there are all these areas where you just say, you're going to be different, you're going to stand out, and you're going to be weird. And this is Noah. He is the one guy and his family that take a stand and do the right thing. Look what it says in verse 14. Make for yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it with pitch inside and out. And then he goes on to describe what kind of ark he's supposed to make. So I got some pictures. Here's a picture of an ark. It's a reconstruction of the ark. In Kentucky, you can go visit this place. It's kind of a cool sort of, you know, so, so this is how big it is, right? This, this is their, their, their best e- effort to, to, to show what the ark would have been like. See those little cars down below there? And this is huge, huge thing. If you're ever driving through Kentucky, I'd encourage you to stop. It, I think it'd be a good, great place to see. I hope to take my family there someday, but there it is. Here's another picture. This guy actually built one. This is a guy from a Dutch guy. Built one that floats. He actually like floats this thing around. Now it wasn't, I mean, he's he's making some interpretive liberties there. He's put some windows in there just to make it a little more, you know, I'm not, you know, that, that's you know, that's not necessarily the way it was, but it's his best effort. It's huge. No one has ever done anything like this. We we guess that like this is a hundred-year project. Noah wastes his life for 100 years because everyone else is doing what they want to do. And like, what are you doing? The New Testament describes Noah as a, as a, a herald of righteousness, a preacher of righteousness. So, so we, we assume Noah is telling people, God is coming. God is judging the violence and wickedness of the earth. This is the time to get away from that. And they're like, ha, 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 Noah, what a stupid idea. Why would you waste your life doing what God asked? friends that wanted to serve the Lord and their parents said, don't waste your life. You need to get a real job. Have a real career. Don't, don't waste your life. Noah was wasting his life building this ark. He does everything that he can to, 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 to do it right. You see Genesis 6 verse 22 there. This is, this is and Noah did all that God commanded him. He did indeed. Like, and the way why it says that is because the, the Hebrew has this way of, of saying, like he wants you to make with uncertain terms, like, like he made sure he followed it as close as he could. It's like an exclamation point. He really did it. You know what's funny is, if you read through the story, I encourage you to do it on your own, Genesis 6 to 9. Noah never negotiates with God. He's never like, oh God, what are we talking about an ark? What kind of ark? You know, what, you know. He just takes it and acts on it and lives it. In chapter, God continues to give him commands. In chapter 7, verse 5, it says again, and Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. This is a righteous person. This is a blameless person. This is a person that walks with God. They hear from him, and they respond to him. When God God gives you directions, you're like, oh, I don't want to do that, God. That's not walking with him. That's walking away from him. The person that walks with God hears from him and and follows what he he tells him to do and and where he tells him to go and, and listens and obeys. Obedience is part of a healthy relationship with God. It is an expression of faith. You can't say you, you, you have faith if you're not obeying and walking in that reality of the truth. 
Maybe you came into the church and into Jesus as just sort of a, a ticket out of hell. Kind of just a, an add-on to your life. Okay, I've got all my life and I'm just gonna tack Jesus onto the bottom of my resume. That's not following Jesus. Following Jesus is this wholehearted faith commitment which results in active obedience to his will. When you follow Jesus, you leave your nets, you leave the tax booth, and you, and you embrace it in a, in a step-by-step process with him where now he has access to every part of your life and he can redirect you at any moment he pleases. Noah is that type of guy. Build a boat. I've never seen a boat, I don't, I, but I'll do it, God. You tell, you know, and, and so piece by piece, bit by bit, he's collecting wood, he's collecting food, and now he'll collect animals and he's gonna fill this ark. Now, I believe this story really happened. Some people t- call us a mythology, but I believe it really happened and there's great geological evidence in in the fossil record to this catastrophic event that occurred across the world where we have these perfectly preserved fossils. Well, how how do you do that? Well, you put a bunch of, you know, sand and muck on top of a, you know, a dinosaur or a fish or whatever, and boom, perfectly preserved. No no oxygen there to decompose it. It's just boom, that's how it happens. Genesis chapter 7, verse 16. It says, those that entered were male and female, just as God commanded him, then the Lord shut him in. There's one door to the ark. There's one access point. There's one entry point to the ark. God's method and chosen method of salvation from his impending judgment is the ark. There's one way in. And everyone that, that had faith entered the ark, and guess who shuts the door? Noah shut the door. Noah's wife shut the door. Ham shut the door. Sham, no, no. God shuts the door. And then they wait, and they wait, and they wait, and they wait. And then they, then they hear, tick, 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 You know, and they hear this water coming in, and, and you know, and, and suddenly, and then they, after a while, a long while, they, they feel the ark, whoa, kind of lift up on the water and start to float. And it describes this, like, mass destruction of Every life on the earth is destroyed because of sin. The penalty for sin is death. And the the story of Noah just paints it so clear. If you disregard God, there is a consequence for that. In they float and they float and they float and they float and, and days and days and days and then finally, you know, It says in chapter 8, verse 1, but God remembered Noah. In Hebrew, the term, especially with reference to God, signifies to act upon a previous commitment to a covenant partner. To act upon a previous commitment to a covenant partner. This is not like, oh, I forgot my keys. Where are they? This is, I remember the promise I made to you, and now God remembers Noah, and he begins, you know, the, the flood subsides, the earth you know, things start growing again, and then, then finally they get out, and the animals, and Noah, you know, builds an altar. It's a wonderful picture, it's, and there's so much more in this text I could talk about, but I just want to just clarify, right? Sin has brought humanity to a horrible place, and God has to intervene to judge. He provides salvation, but there's one way. It's his way. 
You cannot create your own salvation. You have to trust in God's way, even when it doesn't make sense, right? You're like, and that's what Paul talks about the cross, right? The foolishness of the cross. What kind of God lets himself be sacrificed? A God that really loves people, but the Greeks couldn't handle that. The Jews couldn't handle it. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians, you know, to the Jews and to the Greeks, it's, it's you know, but, but to us who believe, it's the wisdom and the power of God. God has one way to escape judgment. I mean, interestingly enough, like people are talking right now, but is it, are these the end times? I mean, I, we're always in the end times. I mean, Christ can return at any moment, but it says, just as it was in the days of Noah, a cavalier indifference to God, violence, sexual promiscuity, you know, all sorts of evil and wickedness just all over the earth, just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be at the coming of the Son of Man. Everyone doing their own thing, and all of a sudden, boom, Jesus the question is, does he find us like nowhere? Does he find us just going with the flow, floating along with the jets and like everyone else, just accommodating to society and culture? Or are we going to go against the flow and say, no, I'm going to follow Jesus in the midst of a wicked and evil world corrupted by sin? I mean, some people think that, oh, people are generally good. But the Bible doesn't present that. That's not a biblical idea. The Bible says, no, we are horribly sinful and corrupted, and we need God's salvation in order to change that reality. People that don't have Jesus uh, will struggle to lead in a righteous and a godly way. You understand that? And so we follow God first. We put him at the front line. And, and Noah is a great example of that. So I got a few lessons here, just shortly as we close here. God sees everything and is aware of everyone's sin. You think you're hiding from him, but he sees it all. Because he's omniscient, he's, he's omnipotent, he's all-powerful, he's all-seeing, he's, he's all-wise. He knows what you're doing. So just don't pretend that you can get away with anything, because you can't. It's a frightening reality. Number two, uh, God is a holy judge who holds us accountable for our sin. This will be presented to us throughout the Scriptures. A holy God. How do you approach a holy God? The way that he tells us to approach it. His way. And that there's a penalty for sin. That's, that penalty is death. And so throughout the Old Testament, they're sacrificing animals all the time. And then finally, God sends his son to die on the cross, and he's the once and for all sacrifice for sin. Why? Because there, someone needs to be held accountable for sin, and Christ takes the accountability for all of us on the cross. It's a remarkable thing. Number three, God is a gracious Savior who provided a way for salvation and deliverance. You're like, everything is just going downhill. We've all got cancer. Oh, no, what's going to happen? The sin is just eating us up. But God provides a way. But it's his way. We don't make the way. He has made the way. Every other religious expression in our world is another way, but it doesn't end up with God. It leads you away from God. There's only one way, and that's through his son, Jesus Christ. God is a gracious Savior, like we read in Psalm 130. If you kept a record of sin, Lord, who could stand? No one. But he's willing to forgive. I, mean, I just love it. God, is, God sees the horror, and then he says, oh, but Noah, okay, Noah, I'm making a way for you. And anyone in that 120-year period could have got a ticket on the ark if they wanted it. They could have exercised faith and trust in God's way, in his word, his plan, and his promise. There was ample room, but no one did. 
I have this short little video here. We're just going to watch here. This is this, this kind of just illustrated. We're on the Black Sea here. This is a floating carpet of garbage. And on this floating carpet of garbage is this little puppy. You see it there right in front of the guy with the, with the you know, with the black and white at the very end of the board there. And so they're reaching out, these guys are, we've got to save this puppy. Floating carpet of, and there they grab the puppy and then they work their way into the shore. And uh, they've saved the puppy and yeah, woohoo, you know. <laughs> and you know what I thought about? I just thought, you know, where do I that puppy now? We're stuck on this floating carpet of garbage. We're dirty, we're messed up. You know, and God reaches out to us and, and saves us and, and brings us and cleans us up and, and gives us a new chance at life. All right, that's good. We, we can turn it. We can, yeah, so there you go. You know, here, here, are the, here are the guys, you know, cleaning up the dog. God looks for people of faith who will follow him wholeheartedly. Like, you know, this is the church, right? We're linking hands and we're entering into the mess and we're trying to extend the grace of God to others as we share with them the good news about Jesus Christ. It's risky. You get a little dirty in the process. But this is what we are called to do. God will judge sin, but God will always forgive the person that comes to him in faith and says, Lord, I've sinned. Would you receive me? And he says, yeah, I'll forgive your sin. I'll take you off the garbage, floating garbage carpet, and I'll bring you, and I'll give you a new life with me. He extends that invitation, but the problem is some people want to live on the garbage carpet. They like to stink and be dirty, and they, they don't care. They, 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 just, they, they don't want to open their lives to God. They're, they're so closed off. And for those who need to pray, but my hope is that you, you're not in that place today. You're willing to receive God's invitation and God's offer of salvation. And for those of you believers here, that you're willing to go against the flow, to put God first, to, to allow his standard to be the one that, that you're most concerned about, to be so conscientious of those around you that you have this blameless, above-reproach lifestyle, to, to walk with him in a relationship day by day, opening his word, getting excited about what he has to say, aligning your life with new truths that you discover every day. Some of you turn on the radio, turn on your social media, and you're aligning your life with what you see there. That has been the, the mirror that you've, you've allowed to dictate how you step and, and what direction you go. And God's saying, I want you to come to me first. Hear, hear what I have to say. And then as you hear other messages, you filter those through his word, through his will, through his way. And God faithfully delivers Noah out of this horrific judgment, his way. There's one door into the ark. The people of faith enter that door, and God closes it. Today God says, here, here's the way, right here. The truth and the life, right here, my son Jesus Christ. Enter in and discover salvation, but there's only one way. You can't go one direction and go this direction. It's this direction or nothing. But it's open to anyone and to everyone who'll receive it. And we, the faithful followers of Jesus Christ today, are called to live righteously, blamelessly, and to walk with God daily. 
What happens when things go wrong? God intervenes. And the key is that we are on the right side when God intervenes. <laughs> that we're moving in the right direction when God intervenes. And if he finds us faithful in his time of intervention, then we, we join him. It's a beautiful picture that he invites us to follow him. So team, would you come up? We're going to sing that song, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Just celebrating what God has done for us and how he's carried us through life. And God's looking for that man, that woman, that teenager, that young adult, that senior who will say, you know, I'm just, I'm all in with God, no matter what. He invites us to that place of righteousness, blamelessness, and walking with him today. Would you, would you just pray with me as the team gets ready to lead us and just bow your head and Lord, help us to be the people you desire us to be. Help us to be the messengers of your grace to this world in which we live. Help us to stand up for righteousness in our workplaces, our schools, our neighborhoods, our families. May our lives be blameless above reproach that reflect you. Lord, may we discover you daily in, 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 in your word and in prayer and through your Holy Spirit. May we just be drawn into a, an intimate connection with you that, that you desire to have with us. Forgive us our sins, Lord. Help us not to compromise, to move with the flow like, every, like the whole world is, but, but to choose your path, your way. So guide us in that, we pray in Jesus' name. Hebrews 11, it says, By faith, Noah, when he was warned about the things not yet seen, with reverent regard, constructed an ark for the deliverance of his family. Through faith, he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. And now, may the Lord enable you this week to be righteous, blameless, and to enjoy a daily relationship with him. And may we follow you, O Lord, in obedience, no matter what. So bless us now, we pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and everybody said,